Welcome to the Kingpins podcast, Denim Talks, the place where we talk about all things denim. I'm fashion journalist Allison Nieder. And I'm Aaron Barajas, Director of Communications for Kingpins. Denim to me is totally rational because if you buy it and it's not washed, I think if you wash it, it's irrational. But if you don't wash it, you basically bought a garment that is cheap, that is durable, that fits any kind of occasion where you go, and you don't need to do anything to it. You don't even need to really wash it ever. You literally can put it in a, in a plastic bag and stick it in your freezer, and it never even touches water. And to me, it's the most rational piece of clothing I have. Aaron and I recorded a series of interviews at Kingpins and Denim Days in New York. We'll be releasing some of these interviews in future podcasts, but we thought it would be appropriate to kick off the series with the founder of Kingpins, Andrew Ola. Those of you who know Andrew know he's an industry fixture. He's been around for many, many years and has worked with really great companies. Andrew's a fantastic storyteller and he's got tons of stories from all around the denim industry. And he has really great ideas about how the denim industry can evolve. In 2004, he launched Kingpins, which was the first ever denim sourcing trade show. So that puts him smack in the middle of the denim industry. Andrew knows everybody. He loves all of the denim stories and lore. In the last... I'd say about 10 years, he's been very interested in the denim industry's effects on the environment. In 2015, he launched Kingpin's Transformers, which is a summit series that gathers cutting-edge speakers and companies to talk about what they're doing to make the denim supply chain cleaner, more equitable, and more socially responsible. In 2020, Kingpin's Transformers became the Transformers Foundation. It has the same goals, and you can learn all about it on our website. Andrew has a really interesting point of view on the denim industry, and we are happy to get him to sit down and talk with us and tell us some of his stories. I'm Andrew Ola. I'm the founder of Kingpins. And before I founded Kingpins, I uh, ran the family business. And our business is 60 years old this year. And the business during my tenure focused on selling and marketing and developing denim fabrics and fabrics suitable for jeans, which could be corduroy or colors. Tell me the story of Kingpins. Well, the true story of Kingpins is that when we worked for a Japanese mill called Karabo, they had four divisions. They had a denim division in China, a denim division in Japan. They had peace-dyed fabrics in Thailand and peace-dyed fabrics in Japan. And I wanted the customers to realize they had four divisions because our sales guys really didn't always express that. So I thought, well, what if I rented an art gallery and had four booths and then I would invite other mills or other companies to come to it. That's what happened 15 years ago. Okay. And then it grew from there. It took on a life of its own. We didn't realize what we were doing was creating a supply chain. It was an accidental supply chain show because we invited accessory people. We invited laundries. We invited, I invited all these people that were friends of my business who didn't make fabric. I, I didn't, couldn't, didn't want to have anyone else having fabric because so, it was very mercenary intention. <laughs> But I didn't want them bored, so we invited a butcher so we could serve good food, and we invited a cheese shop. And then we had all these other people that, it, that without us even realizing it, were supply chain members. We've done shows in Shanghai. We've done shows in Los Angeles. We've done shows in three major cities in India, Bangalore, Delhi, and Mumbai. I mean, we've been all around. And yes, we are a definitely a gene supply chain show. We're the first one, and we're the largest in the world today. And then in addition to Kingpins... You also do Transformers. Kingpin's Transformers has really been something which I really love doing, which I think is really important and makes you feel like when you get up in the morning, like you have a purpose because it's got nothing to do with generating revenue or anything like that. It's really about education and trying to bring, to me, people that are behind the scenes to the front of the scenes because they have all the key pieces of information we need as an industry. I want to talk about denim specifically. 
what is it about denim that you love? When did you first discover that you love denim? When I was a kid, I just wanted to look like the people that I admired on TV, and they were always the bad guys or the cowboys or the the rioters during the Vietnam demonstrations or the Black Panthers taking over someplace. I, I, I want to look like those people. <laughs> that was really musicians. And my parents and all their friends and school teachers and all those people didn't look like that. So there was this definite kind of team in society, and you were on one team or the other team. And I think anyone from my generation, Adriano or Piero Turk or any of those people who, who kind of have been in the jeans business a long time, that they'll tell you the same story. Jeans were a very clear way for you to physically demonstrate that you were not part of the establishment at that time and that you didn't really want to be. And then you started working with denim. Not initially. My, my father's business was, was um, an assortment of fabric. Mm-hmm. And what happened really was the people involved in traditional clothing, let's say women's clothing, but all the sportswear kind of companies, their attitude and the behavior of those industries was really nasty, like some old nasty movie. And the people who were doing the jeans business, because it was a brand new business, were either my age or they were at the top end of the baby boomers. I'm at the bottom end of a baby boomer. I'm born in 54. The top end was 47. So the people really in the business were born in 1946, 1947. And their attitude was really similar to mine. And if there was all those people, and then there was Levi's. And what I loved at Levi's, and I loved Levi's from the moment I first got to work with them, was because they had a code of business conduct, and they had standards, and they had a very rational way of doing business, which in all the other business that had existed, there was no rationality whatsoever. It was just crazy people screaming. And I was really attracted to the fact that Levi's had criteria on everything, because it made it really easy to work, and it made it a pleasure And also, if there was a problem, it wasn't my problem because there was always a quality person in my company and their quality person. So I didn't even have any problems. So I loved it. And the other side of it was I loved all the younger people that I worked with because we're all the same generation and have the same point of view. Even today, you see that it's definitely a tribe of people. The people who work in the denim business tend to stay in the denim business. Somebody told me a few weeks ago that we should stop using the word tribe. I think there is definitely a genes um, universe, a genes world, a genes society we all are in. Because hardly any of us are going to turn our jobs away and then go start working as, you know, as a dress supplier. I don't know too many people who've been in the jeans business that work for Chanel making shoes, you know, so I think we're, we're in. I like the name Jean Society. I'm going to start using that one. Trademarked. You heard it here first. So what do you like about denim? And I'm talking specifically the fabric. There's something rational and irrational about everything. And we want to call it rational denim. So... If you take clothing, denim to me is totally rational because if you buy it and it's not washed, I think if you wash it, it's irrational. But if you don't wash it, you basically bought a garment that is cheap, that is durable, that fits any kind of occasion where you go. And you don't need to do anything to it. You don't even need to really wash it ever. You literally can put it in a, in a plastic bag and stick it in your freezer and you never even touches water. And to me, it's the most rational piece of clothing I have. What do you wish that people, anyone, could be business people, could be end consumer, what do you wish that they knew about denim? It's not so much what I wish they knew about denim. I, I wish they knew about the people that are selling it and what they're doing. I don't think denim did anything wrong. It's just the people that go around it. So are, are you specifically talking about the pollution aspects of denim, which is certainly not the entire industry? What's well, not the entire industry? You have good actors and you have bad actors in the industry. Who's the good one? You tell me who the good ones are. Well, there are a few. They're a handful. Right. I didn't prepare the list, but I can say G-Star is one of them. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not so easy to figure out the rest. I mean, I think 
Everlane is doing a good job because they're buying from Zytex. Mm-hmm. So I really can't answer who's the good ones right now. I'd have to think about it some more. Well, who would, who my, my, my general comment is that there's very few companies genuinely getting interested in what's going on. I think VF, with the new use of foam dyeing, is making a great attempt. I think VF has to be applauded for it. But I find that the rest of the industry is looking for easy, pat answers mm-hmm. and um, promoting them as if they're marketing vehicles. And that's not at all what sustainability is. It's not about marketing. Obviously, sustainability is a big issue, a big issue that isn't very well defined. But what are some practices that you wish more mills followed? More? Mm-hmm. All of them. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm looking for specifics. Okay, I'm very, for I'll like, give it to like, you. Recycle your water. No, let's go really simple because mm-hmm. this sure. is actually... People think sustainability is really complicated, super simple. Mm-hmm. You either use sustainable cotton or you don't. No one does. People use a little bit. It doesn't even make any sense. Why would you use a little bit? So, okay, everyone talks about how much water we use, but it's very easy to invest in water systems. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. But why can't everybody agree that that's the basic cost of business? I mean, for instance, we, we, in my lifetime, we, we didn't have seatbelts when we started. So then suddenly there was a law passed that we had to have seatbelts. Well, that costs more. Was the consumer going to pay for them? No, but we have them. So we could absolutely have people insist on us not using water or replacing the water we use. So it's not enough to change your practices. It's also you have to make it company-wide. You have to quantify it. You need a CEO who really wants to do something properly, like Yvonne Schwinnard at Patagonia. He stands up there and this says, this is what we're going to do, and that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. And any company that's doing it bit by bit and pretending that that's worth marketing is tricking you. And that's what I like about jeans or what I want you know, to do in my life <laughs> is I want the public to ask questions about the vendors, mm-hmm. the brands, and say, so what did you do? Who are you? What do you stand for besides your own profit? Do you see that happening at the consumer level? Yeah, totally. I'm going to work the rest of my life on trying to make that happen. And I know lots of other people want to do the same thing. I'll give you examples. Like someone said yesterday that Pakistan used to have 5,000 metric liters of water per person, and now they have 1,000. Okay. I believe the number is not 1,000. I believe it's 460. Now, if you just think about Pakistan or Bangladesh, they have really tiny amounts of water in, in India. They're all fighting over what little water they have. Brands come in there, they use all their water up, and when all their water is gone, those brands will go to some other country. So how is that right? And how is that good? And why and should how that... is that sustainable? Well, in, the, in the obvious We obviously know it's not sustainable. Of the word. Right. We're not talking about, um, you know, how much water Canada has? We have 80,000 liters <laughs> per person. United States has 8,000 liters, and these little countries have 300, 400. What are they going to do if they have no water? Right. So if I'm, if I'm a, a big brand and I'm using their water, I think the price of the water is what you use in the replenishment. And I think that's the real cost of water, which they're not charged. And if they were not charged that, they might not make their jeans in Bangladesh anymore, but they might make their jeans again in Italy or in California. But we're not charging as a society what any, anything's replenished. My favorite story, which everybody can really, really understand, is my Canadian story. So we sell Americans so many Christmas trees. You can't even imagine the millions of Christmas trees we sell you guys. Yet every year it keeps going and there's never a story in a Canadian newspaper. Wow, we ran out of Christmas trees. But we should have. We sold so many. And why would that be? Because you're replacing them. Correct. You have Christmas tree farms. What we do and what we have to do as a sustainable society is we can use anything we want. We can use it as often as we want. We can make as much as we want. If we have a plan and if we have a cost in the plan of what you use, you replace. Doesn't that seem logical? Mm -hmm. So that's all part of sustainability. Sorry, I don't mean to be such a downer. (laughs) 
But you asked me. I know, I know. It's it's all great, but I was like, I need like a happy end. But the happy ending is is that we need to to actually make people aware of these things so that people can actually you know ask for them and then reward the brands that do it. That's what I want. Because if you reward this brand for doing something good and the other brand sitting beside them doesn't do anything good, eventually they're going to have to do something good to keep up. That's how this is going to work. Okay, that sounds simple. It let's, is simple. Let's do that. Got it, everyone? <laughs> Tell a story. You have this photo that I love. It's young Andrew Ola in Italy in a plaza. With a cigarette. A cigarette. And a jacket. And an afro. Yeah. And a, like a trench coat. Very... It was an afro. It was more Gino Vanelli. He had big hair. He had big hair. Wavy, big hair. Wavy, and not a stitch of denim. Big curls. Not a stitch of denim. Well, I started the business as a business person because that's what I was taught I was supposed to do. And denim was one of the millions of products that I work with. And society was such at that time that you had to wear a suit and tie wherever you went. You had to wear a suit and tie to every business meeting. You had to wear a suit and tie everywhere you went. On the plane, if you traveled, you would wear a suit. And actually, you laugh, but I moved to New York in 98. And one of my reasons for not moving or considerations for not moving was that everybody wore a suit and tie to work. And I thought, I don't want to move there. And then I was like, fuck it, I won't. (laughs) But at that time, everybody did. Everyone in the business basically wore a suit and tie. So that that was what I wore to work. How did you change that? It's a really good question. So we had a great business relationship in the middle 90s with Nordstrom's while I was still suiting it up. And all the Japanese guys, I worked for Japanese denim people. And all those guys, of course, wore suits in their office. But whenever they came to Seattle, I'd have my suit on. But they'd come with a jean jacket, chinos, and an Oxford shirt, white shirt, and come into Nordstrom's like that. And all the people in Nordstrom's wore suits and ties. And after a couple of years of watching them so comfortable in me and my suit and all the business that we did, the business was going crazy good. And, and I thought, I don't think it really matters what I wear. The business seems to be fine. And then I ditched my suit. Then I only wore it for dating. <laughs> and then eventually you I would come home from work. I, when I was single, I would come home from work and have a shower and shave or not and change and put on a suit and go for dinner. And everyone thought I was a perfect <laughs> gentleman. I'm a businessman. Yes. They didn't know. They'd be shocked <laughs> when they saw me in the office in a t-shirt and jeans. <laughs> That's funny. But you compare that to how people dress up to come to Kingpins, and they look so sharp, and they look so great, and they put such care into putting together their denim wardrobe. To think that somebody thought denim isn't appropriate for business is just is funny when you see how well everybody is dressed. But if you were to be um, doing an objective study of wool consumption, and you look at wool consumption from the whole picture, from 1965 until today, you see wool dive in its consumption, you're going to want to cry. And all the cotton people, whenever they have their meetings, the one thing they all do is they say, we, we don't want to be like wool. Please don't be like wool. How do we save cotton? Because wool was worn is, sure. is ubiquitous. Women wore wool suits to work. Men wore suits, of course, everywhere in the world. I love wool. Well, it happens to be the best fiber ever because it does everything polyester does 18 million times better. But okay. sheep are stupid. Now I want to have all the fibers fight. So I, went to, I went to this Australian um, farm and he had zillions of acres of cotton. He also had a sheep farm. And when we went to a sheep farm, he just got out of the car and his face got all twisted. He said, I fucking hate sheep. It's so stupid. So I'm selling them all. <laughs> oh Ever since then, I just thought, I start laughing when someone says something about, well, but is it great fiber? Kicked a lamb. <laughs> Take that man's sheep away from you. They're very dirty. They are dirty. You guys, the picture of Andrew is on the website. It's not to be missed. It's a classic. Highly recommend. For photos and videos, please visit kingpinshow.com. We will have industry news, trend content, street style galleries, store and designer profiles, and more podcasts. 
Plus, you can find information and updates about our shows in New York, Amsterdam, Hong Kong, and China. Thanks for listening.